2: This is Ryan Archie Daff and I've to the Bulls HQ podcast all the way from Australia. who represent and thanks for all the support.
1: The weather is nice Fans, welcome to another episode of Bulls HQ, a Chicago Bulls podcast on the Blue Eye Sports Podcasting Network. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Bulls HQ. Another loss. Just seemingly, whenever I get to do a Bulls podcast, like it's it's always coming after a loss for whatever reason. I don't know if I'm the jinx in that in that scenario, or if the Bulls just uh, are a average basketball team who like losing games. Then when I'm um, when I'm watching, whatever the scenario is, it's very very annoying having to podcast straight after after Bulls basketball games and we are coming at you straight after the Bulls. Just got absolutely pounced by the Utah Jazz, which wasn't totally surprising, but at the same time, uh, very deflating. And I'm very thankful in those those situations when the Bulls do get well and truly beat that I have some guests on to help me sort of digest and go through what we've just witnessed. So uh, I want to bring in my guests for today. So these two lads... I've uh, recently started their own Bulls, uh, Bulls podcast. If you're not catching Bulls 101, then I strongly suggest you do so. But these guys are on all your audio platforms. They're even doing their show on YouTube. Uh, I want to welcome in Laro Golden and Chris Amundsen from Bulls 101. Boys, how are you guys going?
2: Yo, 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 yo. How you doing, man? How you doing? Thanks for having us on, man.
1: No problem, mate. I, I've, I've been meaning to get you guys on because uh, I wanted to do this Pretty much from the uh, from the minute you guys said you you guys wanted to launch into the Bulls podcasting world, which is very interesting timing on your on your behalf. I think you guys were what, three weeks into it, so um, yeah, welcome welcome to Bulls podcasting. We're particularly with this team sort of losing all these games, but um, yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, like I said, I want to talk bulls. I want to get your insight because uh, I, I thoroughly enjoy watching your show because you guys go to a level of analysis that uh, I don't think many others do, um, which is why I wanted to get you on to get your takes about the bulls specifically. You know what we've seen over the last week in terms of win losses, those sorts of things. But given that we're literally a couple of days away from the NBA trade deadline and this team seemingly having to make some decisions. Uh it's, it's, it's an interesting time to be a Bulls fan, to be a Bulls podcaster, all that sort of stuff. So, Lara, maybe I can swing to you first, mate. I mean, what have you seen over the last week of Bulls basketball? I mean, they can't beat the good teams. They beat the bum teams. Um, how does that dictate what they're going to do with the trade deadline? Maybe you can just give me your high-level thoughts of uh, where your mind is at uh, with the Bulls. And then we can, uh, you know, Chris can share us, share his thoughts on that too.
2: Uh, first of all, man, I appreciate you uh, saying high-level, brother. I, I appreciate that. Um, but uh, for me, I mean, today, uh, you know, before we get to today, I'll go go before. So, I mean, what we've learned, at least from my po- uh, point of view, is that this team is – they are missing pieces, which we already know. Um, and it's been frustrating. I mean, even against teams that we should beat, you play down to their level um really the only person you can really trust on is Zach um he's been kind of the most consistent player outside of like thad um and what we what we're learning is slowly but surely is that we're just not ready. we're not ready we need to add more pieces um we we have a team that's just so just flawed um and it's just been really frustrating um. And to, to, to go off of that, uh, I'll fast forward till to tonight is tonight you really saw, um, the difference between the levels, you know, Utah being the high level and us. I mean, I can't even say what level we're at because it's almost like we're bum slayers. We beat the teams that are really bad. And then when we see the teams like the Jazz, we're just out of the, we're, we're nowhere near that league and it's frustrating um mostly because you get put in a situation where um y- you you won't be able to get a good pick because you're good enough to beat the bad teams and then you're just not good enough to have some type of opt- optimism to go into the playoffs and maybe make some noise or or gain some uh experience for the young guys um and i mean my thoughts are a little bit all over the place. Um, so I mean, No, I mean, they,
1: they, look, that makes sense, given that the team is literally all over the place. I mean, <laughs> what, one day you're feeling good about them. And, look, I, I fall victim to this all, all, all the time. Like, I, I think I had a podcast last week where I was talking about how, you know, I was pleased with how they performed against the Raptors in OKC. And, you know, given, you know, it was a small sample size against teams that were... Playing depleted lineups, but you know you, you sort of fall into the rhythm of these games. Your mood gets swung by the, the, the rhythm of these games, and uh, yeah, I mean they they win, you feel good. They lose, they, you feel bad. Your whole world is imploding, and you're wondering what the hell is meant to be happening. But I don't know. I think I think we've reached the point now where we've got 40 odd games of well, 44, I think it is, or 42 games of data at this point to suggest this team is beating the teams that they should, which is good which is, I guess, a step forward, but they really can't compete against the teams that are above them. And not that I was expecting them to beat the Utah Jazz. Like, in, in isolation, this loss is whatever, but maybe in in culmination with what we saw against the Spurs last week, then the Nuggets on Friday night, like, two, just, two games that should have been Ws that ultimately turned into uh, losses because this team just can't execute. Like, that's where my frustration is, and... I don't know. I guess because of all that, like they have to do something substantial. I think at the deadline, I I don't know how you can sort of go through the motions and do not much else or keep this team beyond the the, the deadline. But I, I don't know how you feel about it, Chris. But I mean, I'm assuming you feel similarly to to myself and Mara. It kind of feels like most of the fan base feels like that at this point. But um, what are your thoughts, mate?
0: Well, if I could be the voice of optimism, hopefully here for a minute, because I know it's depressing to come on a podcast right after a loss like this. Jazz, <laughs> and you're right. We should be beating the bad teams. We weren't even there last year. We couldn't even beat the bad teams last year. This year, we've upped a level. We're beating the bad teams. Haven't beat those good teams, but for the most part, you know, this this loss aside, most of the games that we've been in against good teams, you know, we've been up or we've been in it the whole game until the end. Now. Obviously the the Lakeham execution has been pretty pretty bad. But it's kind of expected. You know, we, we, we know and also AK and Eversley know that this team really, really needs a point guard. They really need an organizer. So I don't know how much we should be surprised that we're driving a car without a steering wheel and we're getting mad when there's bumps in the road and we're veering off course. It's you need that steering wheel, you need the organizer of your offense to keep things going. Lowry, as we know, is, is a is a player who needs who needs things set up for him, and he can exceed in that that way. Um, You know, Wendell is is in that same boat. Kobe needs someone to handle the ball so he can focus on what he's good at. So a lot of our young guys and the disappointment that's come with them I think has a lot to do with the fact that we really haven't found the driver of our offense. Zach's taken a, a huge leap. So I mean I, I really want to be positive here because we're in it, we're right in it, and that's why those losses against Denver and the Spurs and some other ones this year have been so devastating. Because you can see the team running well sometimes and for long stretches, and they just can't get it done at the end. And and that's where I think I don't think it's time necessarily to panic. Uh, you know we're not. I think I see a lot of Bulls fans on Twitter and Discord and other places that are just like blow it all up, trade all the young guys. You know we suck. Uh, doom and gloom, but I really don't think it's that bad. I, I think we're moving in the right direction, but not fast enough to where we really want to go right now. And with the draft coming up, I, I get it. I get the frustration here because, as you mentioned, we're not bad enough to get a really good draft pick, but we're not good enough to make any noise in the playoffs and feel like we're actually making progress. But I think this deadline is going to be a good um, a good first test, if you will, for for AK and Mark Eversley to show us what they think of the roster, because we really haven't seen it up to this point.
1: Yeah, I mean, all fair points, and I definitely appreciate you balancing my negative takes at the moment with some some level of optimism, so I appreciate that. But at the same time, like, are the Bulls, maybe the Bulls play 45, 42, 43 minutes of good basketball because the pressure during those first 42 to 43 minutes of the game aren't, Extreme, let's say, whereas like we saw against the Spurs, like we saw against the Nuggets, or even like the, the Jazz now, where it just wasn't competitive for a large portion of the game. Like the minute the the minute the pressure is just amplified just that little bit more, this team really reverts back to those bad old habits. And I guess, like you said, like part of it is just due to the fact that they just don't have enough experience on the floor, don't have enough capable uh, ball handling, don't have someone out there to really lead the ship when the execution. Errors just start piling up, which is again like the and that was a the theme last season. They just couldn't, they just couldn't execute. It's been a theme to some degree this season as well. So it, it's certainly structural, it's certainly roster based, and you know maybe if that lead creator was here in Chicago, things would just be better organized or a little bit neatly more organized. The hierarchy would sort of settle a little bit more, a little bit more nicely, let's say. But we kind of already knew that coming into the season. Which again, you're right in saying that, but like. Given that we've gone this far, like, it, it kind of is important at this point for, for someone like AK, Mark Eversley, et cetera, to really target that type of guard if you can actually get your hands on that type of guard at this deadline for a number of reasons, which I've gone over on this podcast. I'm sure you guys – well, yeah, I know you guys have covered it on your show as well, but, like, I guess I'm at the point mentally where I've seen enough, like, the team is nine and 20, 19 and 23 – they're, they've got the cabs on wednesday night then after the trade deadline or the trade deadline happens on thursday then post the trade deadline they have a really really difficult nine game stretch and i'm just going to read these these games out in terms of what the schedule is coming up but post the deadline they've got uh, eight road games, eight out of nine games, are on the road. So the first four are at San Antonio, at Golden State, at Phoenix, at Utah. Then they come home to play the Brooklyn Nets before going on, on the road again for a five-game stand, actually. So it's at Indiana, at Toronto, at Atlanta, at Minnesota, at Memphis. So like that 10-game stretch is, is rough. And I, I guess I'm at the point mentally where I've seen enough to suggest that this team, as currently constructed, Maybe they get into the plane just because the East is so terribly bad. But I, I'm I'm starting to think about next season already. I'm starting to think about how we can maximize Zach Levine's prime at this point because I don't know what else there is really to get out of this season going forward. So to me, this trade deadline is I won't say it's make or break for AK because like that 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 is too extreme. But like I the positivity the um the good graces of that I've given kind of shows up until this point, like if we go past this deadline and nothing happens, um, I don't know, I don't know if I can be an optimist like you are Chris. So I don't know how you feel about that. Larry. Maybe I can bring you to my dark side over here. <laughs> but um, how are you feeling about like, if we get to the deadline and AK does nothing, let's say, how would you as a fan, as a podcaster, how, how would that sit with you?
2: Um, For me, right? So, Optimist side. Okay, if AK doesn't make a move. Okay, well, this is a season where it's weird. Team the the playing uh, games have given teams this false hope uh, that they can make the playoffs, so they don't want to make a move. So it's been it would be tough to make a move. And then the other side of me is like, there's no way after you've seen what you've seen that you couldn't find a way to make a move, like. There's no way you need this long of an uh, an evaluation on these certain players that we have. Like th- there's nothing to me that shows that with these last however many games that are left that something's going to change. Like nothing is showing me from Lowry that oh man, he's rebounding better, he's a better team defender, he's adding stuff to his game. Not really. Kobe people always say you know First year as a point guard is always always Tough that's very true But usually When you have a strength You lean on that strength until You maximize your weaknesses And right now his scoring is Not being maximized it's very Inconsistent um, he's, His defense is still Porous he can't really stay in front Of anybody um, Otto uh He's you know, what? I can't be bad. I can't be super mad on Otto because I feel like he's starting to get his legs back. He's starting um, to get his wind back. He's starting to play a little bit better. He's getting more lift on his jump shot. So I'm kind of optimistic that he's going to start playing better and more consistently. Um, And I mean, out of that bunch, man, like it's just tough to say to for AK to come out sit in front of the cameras and talk to certain people that are asking them questions and say, you know what, guys, we're not making a move, or we just we couldn't make the move. We couldn't make any moves. Like, how do you – what message is that sending to Zach? You know, like, Zach is out there trying to put this team on his back and hoping that something happens. Like, obviously, Zach's not going to be down t- downing his teammates and saying you guys are horrible and none of that. He's going to keep that inside and be a great teammate. But you gotta know that Zach is probably going home, talking to his wife, talking to his dad, talking to his friends. Like, guys, like, <laughs> I don't know what else I can do. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I don't know, man. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's tough, man. That that that's ex- that's at least how I feel about that situation.
1: Yeah, I definitely, I, I think we're aligned in that sense. But like Chris, like, I mean. AK made those comments around, you know, they're being delusional teams right now who maybe think they can get into the playing tournament, who maybe want to be buyers at the deadline, but maybe should be sellers. And I keep coming back to that comment and I wonder if that comment that comment is gonna come back to buy AK in the event that they do nothing or if you know they make even if they make a move on the periphery but don't necessarily change the structure of the actual rotation. I wonder if that comment's going to to come back to bite him in the ass somewhat. So, I mean, how, how are you feeling about this notion of whether the Bulls should be buyers, should they be sellers? I mean, just specifically what we've seen over the last week where we've seen them beat up on, on a bad Raptors team, a bad OKC team, a bad Pistons team, but then, you know, lose in embarrassing fashion to actual good competitive teams. Like, is he delusional in some senses if he uh, doesn't make any move of sorts?
0: I can see it kind of both ways here as well just because the the guy that we really need, which is that veteran facilitator, isn't really available here at the trade deadline in my opinion. I mean, unless it's Kyle Lowry, but I, I really don't think he's interested in coming to our team versus another team like Miami or Philadelphia. Yeah. So in that sense, if you're looking for a long-term solution at point guard or at the creator position, if you will, I don't think you're going to find that the deadline. So in that sense, I don't really expect AK to make a move to address that position or to address that flaw. But I do think mm-hmm. you can find long-term pieces that can fit going forward uh, at the trade deadline or, or be creative with, with trades. I mean, for example, if something I was thinking about today, if Miami wanted to get in on Kyle Lowry, they got to move out some salary and Kelly Olynyk, Andre Iguodala – And Goran Drogic, those are guys that that have, you know, decent contracts that maybe we could pluck one of those guys and and help our, you know, either our point guard position, our small forward or our center, uh, all three of which we've had issues with throughout the season. So I think the AK can be creative and there's opportunities there at the trade deadline. And I think we're in a really good spot as far as what kind of array of contracts that we have to be able to facilitate deals. So I think the opportunities are there. It's probably not going to be to to bring in a point guard because I just don't think that one's available, and maybe not even the soft season unless Spencer Dinwiddie, you know, his, his recovery goes really well and he's ready to, you know, contribute. It's it's uh, it's kind of a tough proposition. But if he doesn't, so if he does nothing, okay, I can kind of understand. But somewhat, some part of me will definitely be disappointed because at least for me, we've seen the evaluation. At this point of Lowry and while he has I think great value on his current contract the the proposition of paying him you know Berton's money or more is as made me a little nervous and I would maybe start to question his basketball acumen if if he thought that Lowry was worth that kind of contract and so I would I would expect something to happen and we've also got these guys in you know the the 12 through 15 spots on our roster that really aren't adding a whole lot that I think he could move and bring in some other guys, even if it's, you know, a buy low prospect like Troy Brown Jr. Or maybe we can get in on Cam Radish, who's had a, another tough year, something like that where we can buy low on a candidate and use our, you know, our, our facilities and our, our player, you know, pro player, quote unquote, uh, development staff to, to help these guys out. So I I, th- I feel like they need to do something. They need to switch it up somehow. Although I don't have a lot of faith that we're going to find a lot of long-term solutions at that creator spot in the deadline.
1: Yeah, I think that's certainly fair. And I guess the name that most Bulls fans have on the uh, the tip of their tongue is Lonzo Ball. But to your point, and I don't know, maybe you agree with me on this, but I mean Lonzo Ball is an elite creator. He's a smart basketball player. Obviously, can create can create on possessions, but you know probably hasn't turned out to be like that natural facilitating point guard that a lot of people thought he might be when he came into the draft. Obviously, very smart player, can create plays, amazing in transition, but it's probably, I guess, because it's just due to the fact that he's not necessarily a huge half-court threat beyond his catch and shoot shots, that he's not going to go in the lane and, you know, start dishing like Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, or any other insert, insert any, uh, you know, traditional type point guard who can create plays for others at a pick and roll type thing. Lonzo isn't that type of player, but he is the type of player that the Bulls should be targeting, so, I don't know, like, Laro, is that, is it even realistic at this point for the Bubbles to actually land someone like Lonzo? I know Kevin O'Connor on the ringer had a report that the Bulls were actively chasing Lonzo Ball. I mean, he mentioned the Atlanta Hawks too. I think Zach Lowe was it today, or someone else at least, had a, had a report that the Denver Nuggets are interested in Lonzo Ball as well. So there's seemingly a market for Lonzo, but... I don't know if the Bulls can get in on that. I'd love to see that happen just because I, I want to see the Bulls acquire good two-way smart players, which Lonzo is. He doesn't solve all the problems that, that Chris sort of noted just below, but or just before, rather. But in terms of your expectations, uh, the likelihood of Lonzo being a Bull post the uh, Thursday deadline, do, do you think it's likely? Do you think it's unlikely? How are you uh, feeling about that one?
2: Um, I believe... I don't want to sound like the guy, but I believe it's 50-50, right? And why I say that is, is I feel like just like just the snippet that we got from AK and his presser that he did, um, it sounds like he was active and making calls, and that's why he made that comment about teams being delusional. There's no way he would know that if he wasn't talking to GMs or anything like that. So, um, I believe we could make that, uh, he could be a part of this team. I really do think they can make a push for it. I, I honestly feel like a change. Like this sounds bad, but I'm not a Kobe hater. Don't don't get me wrong, but I think like maybe putting Kobe in Here the deal we go. now is is has can enter it. You know, you can, you can now put Kobe in that thought of like, okay, you know what? If they want Kobe, take him. But like this is my thought on Lonzo in his creation and things like that on offense, like. If you're expecting Lonzo to be like, you know, a Luka and handle the ball and all of the offense is on his shoulders, uh-uh. I don't I don't believe he can do that. But if yeah. you if you if you look at the type of offense that we're running, you know, insert Lonzo into what the way we're using Kobe and I, I, I truly believe he can do what they're trying to get Kobe to do. Um, I believe Kobe I mean I believe Lonzo is a pretty good pick and roll player I believe he understands how to read defenses he understands how to go against drop coverage he understands reading the, the tag man and, and, and he his passing ability is there and his shooting ability we starting to see is is getting there so it's I I, I understand that like there's some skepticism about his creation, but I do believe in the offense that Billy wants to run. He can be good in it. And now, if we were, like I said, now if we were expecting him to be like his brother, younger brother, or or Luca, or or any of those or those guys, then we have a problem. Then we're we're ha- our aspirations for him are maybe a little bit too high, or expectations, I should say. So, but I do believe he can be effective in the offense that Billy wants to run. A lot of ball movement. Uh, a lot of pinned down stuff for Zach. If you can just get Zach off the ball and and allow, a, you know, you know uh, Lonzo to, to to bring the ball up, protect the ball, not turn the ball over, and just allow Zach to roam off free. And heck, maybe if we do keep Kobe in a deal and we somehow get Lonzo, I do believe Kobe can be more effective off the ball, not asking him to do some of the things that they're asking him to do. So, I mean... I'm optimistic. I think we can be in that deep. I-, I think we can get them.
1: I do. Look, I'm not going to lie, Lara. I was kind of hoping I could uh, bring you over to the dark side whilst Chris is, you know, on the on the light side. Let's say, <laughs> but uh, you're, you're falling. You're, Chris has got too much of a hold on you, I think. Too much of an influence on you. But um, look, I know. I, I, I think. You, I, <laughs> no, definitely not. Definitely not. But um, I take your point. I take your point. And look, at this point, I think the Bulls should just be. They should just be like just trying to acquire, like I said, good smart players, guys who lift the baseline of this team, which obviously Lonzo would do. Obviously, if you you're acquiring acquiring Lonzo, then you're you're acquiring with you know with the hope of maybe bringing him back on uh, on some sort of deal beyond this season, given he's a restricted free agent, which is why from a Bulls point of view, it would make sense to maybe just switch him and Lowry and. Uh, given that they both are restricted free agents coming up, but look, I I can't imagine the Pelicans being interested in Lowry and I don't know if any other teams are going to be interested in Lowry, but he is seemingly the player where I keep coming back to as to where the biggest decision is this week. I mean, we can talk about trading Kobe, we can talk about trading Wendell, Otto, Sato, whoever it might be, and look, there's reasons for why that may make sense for each of those singular players as to why it may make sense to deal them, but the time is effectively ticking on Larry marketing, like it isn't with someone like Kobe or Wendell. That isn't to say those guys are long for Chicago, but the fact that Larry is literally, you know, maybe playing the last 30-odd games of his career in Chicago, assuming he makes it past his deadline, there is a clock ticking for Larry like it's not for others. So, I don't know, like, what signal does it send, Chris, if Larry is here post the deadline? I mean, I would assume that, to me at least, it feels like, they value Larry highly if they can't necessarily move him and try to get some value to him. Of course, naturally, they can maybe try to organize a sign and trade or maybe just sign him and try to trade him at a ladder point. But to your eyes, at least, like if the Bulls were to keep marketing post this deadline and if we learned that they weren't necessarily even shopping him around because they value him, let's say, like what sort of message would that send to you if the Bulls are really in on a player like Larry marketing
0: well, as I said before, I think it would cause me to question a little bit the basketball knowledge because Lowry has value where he's at. And as you mentioned with Kobe and Wendell, okay, they've been kind of up and down, right? I mean, a lot of people are disappointed in, in all three of these guys right now, but Kobe and Wendell are making five and a half million dollars a year and they're, and Wendell's going to make like seven million next year and Kobe's going to make seven million dollars next year. You, you've got time to make that decision and I think the longer that Kobe and Wendell are in a system with Billy Donovan and, uh, you know, they've had half a season of competent coaching in their entire career. And same with Lowry, right? So at some point, I don't think you should give up on guys that are like 21 years old or even Lowry, I don't think you should give up on a 23-year-old. He's got these skills. You see it every once in a while. Uh, Laro and I talked about it on our show on Saturday. You see these flashes from Lowry where he gets in the post and punishes guys. Tonight against the Jazz, I thought he had a couple nice drives. He, you know, powered against Gobert once. Gobert almost blocked it or maybe did block it but still went in. He's got these flashes, but as you mentioned, the time is running out on his contract. That's the real issue. So if they have to make a decision, if they don't move him, it signals to me either, A, that they really do value him or are going to match, or that they didn't get the type of value back that they thought they should in a trade. And so maybe they think, the market is suppressed enough where the value of that contract as a tradable asset down the line may be worth signing it versus whatever assets they could get at the deadline. Or they may just really like him. And if they really like him, that's fine, but we, we got to make other moves then because Lowry can work in a specific system. I think he can be very effective where you've got a really fantastic point guard and some really good perimeter and interior defenders around him to kind of mask those deficiencies. But right now this team doesn't have any of that. And so Lowry's getting exposed, Wendell's getting exposed, Kobe's getting exposed. I mean you name it, you go down the line, this team has not functioned as a group effectively enough for long enough periods, you know, to justify paying him the type of money that he's gonna want to have in the off season. So that's that's kinda where I'm at with it, but I don't think I'd be out on AK like maybe some people would, but it would be a little disappointing, or at least I would question what their what their plan going forward
1: is. Yes. Yeah, so I, again, I don't want to be too dramatic here, but um, if Larry is here post this deadline, uh, I'm I'm not out on AK. Let's say he would still have time, but I I'm very much out on Larry Markin at this point. I, I I don't know what else I need to see to to to, to 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 change my opinion. I suppose like I just feel the way I feel. Like, I've been long beating the drum that that first 15 or so games of his season that we saw, this season was just a hot streak. It's seemingly proving to be that way because his last six games, well, they just haven't been good. I mean, the last six games for Larry Markman, 13.2 points per game, shooting 37.8% from the field, 29.3% from three. The majority of his offense comes from the three-point line at this point. I don't think his role has drastically changed from Boylan to Donovan in large part because I just view him as that type of player and just from a defensive standpoint, I mean, you guys are sort of highlighted on your show when you do your uh, your breakdown from a clip point of view that, you know, he's just not he's just not there defensively and just not giving you anything else on offense either. I mean, one assist per game, not great. If you're averaging more turnovers than assists, that's not ideal. So, I don't know. I, I, there's nothing more for me to see from Larry at this point that's going to change my mind and, I don't know. I would be very concerned if he's here post the deadline. I mean, even if, even if you can just get something of value back from him, I'm not expecting the world for something from Larry. But if you can just get something back for Larry, and I mean, his, his cap hold is twenty point one million dollars in the off season. I would argue that getting rid of Larry now, getting some sort of asset back, and using that cap space of twenty odd million dollars to Maybe go and get a Satoransky level player or a Thad Young level player in during this off season. Like that's going to have more value to someone like Zach Levine, to Patrick Williams, to, the, to this team as a winning organization. Let's say that's going to have more value than you know bringing back Larry Markin on 16, 18, 20 million dollar type contract per season. So I don't know. I, I don't want to say I'd be completely out on A.K. because that would that sounds very uh, reactionary and very uh, doggable nation, as my friend uh, C. Red Fred would say. And so I don't want to be that reactionary, but I would be uh, very concerned if he's here post the deadline. But so, I don't know, maybe moving away from Larry, let's talk about guys like Kobe, Sato, Wendell, Larry. I mean, we, we've already touched on the fact that you know guys like Kobe and Wendell, they have more time, but at the same time, these guys have recently just been benched. The team has signaled that they're... I guess, less interested in developing talent right now. They're trying to win games. At least that's what I've inferred based on this lineup change. But given that, given that these guys have gone to the bench, and I understand it is very early in their careers at the same time, but, you know, we're thinking about the timeline, Zach Levine's timeline. Like, that's what we should be thinking about. Like, so if if, if it means, like, trading Kobe White and a first-round pick or Wendell and a first-round pick or... Whatever it might be to go and you know enter the into the chase of someone like Aaron Gordon who's seemingly available, probably is going to end up on a team like the Celtics and it, it appears, but like should the bulls be putting these younger guys on the table, yes, they're being i guess uh I was gonna say tortured maybe that's too extreme but they've gone through the ring in terms of Jim Boylan's coaching but uh, are we at the point where we should even be considering about the, developing these younger guys who don't necessarily project to be anything more than role players and just putting them on the table with whatever it needs to... Whatever you need to put them on the table with to go and get players who fit the timeline of Zach Levine, guys like Lonzo, or even extending that thought out to someone like Aaron Gordon, who hasn't been linked to the Bulls, but is a name I would like to see be linked to the Bulls. I mean, where are, we, where are you at, at least, with guys like Kobe, Wendell, and, uh you know, in terms of your... Uh, in terms of your your willingness to see these guys be put on the block and ultimately traded, like where are you where are you sort of at on that situation?
2: I'm at the point where you we have to give Zach a sign that we we bought we're buying into him, um, and that we want him to be a part of this, and we want to not just stay where we're at, and that's and of course like like Chris mentioned, we are we are showing some uh, improvement. And we're seeing some, uh, you know, good things happen going in the right direction. But I think for a guy that's 26, that is, I don't think he's at his peak yet. I think he still has a, 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 maybe another level, maybe another level. Um, and I, I think we need to get to the, uh, we need to show him. You know what, Zach, we we want you here, and we're we're, we're going to show you by doing this, and whatever that is, I'd be willing. To move like a Kobe or Wendell or Lowry or whatever it takes to to show Zach that we're buying into his timeline and we want that to be here we want him to be um the guy that brings along with someone else some glory back to Chicago and all Bulls fans so um I'd be willing to do it I mean the thing is is some people have to some people have to understand like coaching and again I've never coached at the NBA level so obviously I've never dealt with egos as big as that I've never dealt with anything like that but in terms of like um dealing with players and their confidence levels coaching has a lot to do it's not just Xs and Os it's not it's not dealing with media not just dealing with media but it's also knowing your players knowing what they can take what type of coaching they can take what's going to hurt them what's going to what's going to bring them up That Billy is with them every single day of uh, of their you know young careers at the moment right now. So he knows what they can take and what they can't. Um. So I don't think I really feel like Wendell. There's another level to him, but there I don't know where this this thing came where it's like it's bad if you need help being a better player or if if you need to depend on another player to be good like that is completely false like I mean Tyson Chandler like all these other these I could go down a line of good players that needed a good point guard or needed another player that could do the dirty work they weren't good at but help them just focus on one point of their game that they were really good at that could help a team win like Wendell needs a point guard that understands when he's open when to throw a lob when to throw him a bounce pass? When to give him a, a chest pass? Like to know when to to get him the ball. You know, not how to set up set screens up so he doesn't get called for moving screens all the time. Like people don't notice that. Like Wendell gets those tiki-tak files of setting screens that are very frustrating. But it's also because your Kobe's and, and sometimes Zach, they get so eager to get off that screen and they don't allow. When Delta said it and then they they you know they're blowing the whistle and now he's going all the way because he's getting an offensive foul. You know, and Kobe, um i I was an optimistic person about Kobe. And I don't want to say it like I'm just totally off the the deep end on Kobe, but I'm thinking very quick <laughs> cl- I'm probably like on an on the lead, you know, with like <sighs>
1: Jump Lara. You know, when, Jump.
2: you know when Mufasa was looking up and Star was right there? Like, I'm right there. Like, I'm literally like, you know, Star's got his foot up and he's about to lift my arm off. Like, and I'm just, I'm right there with Kobe. And Kobe is frustrating <laughs> because, like, he was supposed to be this this score in, in being able to, to score in, like, bunches. And he just, it's so inconsistent, man. And, I'm I'm like, to go back to the original point, I'm I'm willing to put anybody in the deal in order to let Zach know that we're serious as an organization
1: in going forward. Yeah, yes, that's, that's all, all, all fair all fair and good. It is a big graphic. It's, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, it, got, uh, it was a dark analogy that you drew there, uh, Larry. But at the same time, I kind of <laughs> was listening to that, and maybe this is a, a, a subtle inside joke that maybe some of the listeners, listeners won't understand, but I kind of felt like throughout that uh, soliloquy that you were just going on there, you had kind of had our friend Vincent Wong in mind. That, that's, that's kind of what it felt <laughs> like. Well, again, the, most of the listeners won't understand that, but uh, shout out to Vincent if he's listening. Uh We were probably subtweeting you in that conversation just then, but um, I, I guess the more I think about this, and like I, the, we can talk about making trades, doing all this at the deadline, doing this this, and that, but even if they do certain things, like like I read off the next 10 games that they got coming up, and 10 games is pretty significant given that they've only got 30-odd games left in the season. I mean, Chris, even like if they do something at the deadline, maybe it's just a lateral move, maybe it's Maybe it's a swing and a move for Lonzo or, you know, I don't know what else it may be, but, you know, trading out one player or two. Like maybe you trade out Larry and Kobe, you bring in Lonzo and player X, whatever it might be. Maybe that, that improves the team by 5%, 10 15%. But given that their schedule coming up is, that, is quite difficult, like is it even going to matter for this season, I guess is my point. Like is it going to materially change where this season is going or – Look, I'm certainly not someone that wants to play the tanking game. I'm not a favorite K-type guy, but given where this season is sort of maybe going for the Bulls more naturally, like, I don't know, like, is any change that they do at the deadline going to materially matter, I guess?
0: Maybe not for the short term. I mean, it could, but as you mentioned, that schedule gets real tough, and if we're going by our current track record, you can cross off any team with a winning record as a guaranteed loss for the Bulls right now. they are just going to lose all those games unless something mm-hmm. changes. And as I mentioned before, I'm not sure you can really find something at the deadline, even if you got Lonzo, by the way, whose price is skyrocketing by the day, it seems. I mean, there, mm-hmm. you see some of the the things that are supposedly being offered for him. And I don't know, it's it's a whole lot, and that's before you have to pay him 20-plus million dollars a year. Now, he may be worth it, but it's it's getting like a year prospect every day for me to, to think about getting... Lonzo on this team between the price it would get to trade him and then to pay him. But it's kind of, as Lero mentioned, you really want to signal to Zach that you're behind him, that you want to build around him. Don't make the same mistake with Zach that you made with Jimmy Butler. And I still maintain that Jimmy Butler uh, is, is and was, you know, a better all around player. I don't think that's really too much in question. And I think Jimmy has the creator skills to really take you to, a championship level team, as we've already seen from him last year. And this year as he's coming back, he's, he's doing the same thing. But what Garpax did was sell sell on that vision and not give it a chance. And I think with Zach, who came here thinking he was going to be the face of the franchise, I think you got to give him that chance. And I don't see another path. As you said, I mean, we could do the fade for Kate thing, but do we really want to go back down the same path and hope that we get – one of those top picks because we may not get Cade. We may get pick seven again, and that's gone really well for us so far. (laughs) And uh, so it's, it's, it's too depressing. And I think, I think both fans are ready for competency, even if we're not championship or bust, we want competency. So to answer your question, I don't know if it's going to make a huge difference for this season and the rest of this season. It may, but I think it could make a big difference starting in the off season and for next year and the direction going forward, it'll give the team an identity going forward. That's, that's what a, a trade at the deadline could do for
1: us yeah i think that's all good and fair and i i certainly take your point on that now maybe we can divert away from the deadline because ultimately you know we can bang on about what it is and who the hell knows by the time this podcast is up and released and people are listening to it maybe the bulls have made a move um probably not but maybe they have so maybe we can divert away from the deadline we'll know in the coming days ultimately what happens and uh you know i'll be talking about it you guys will be talking about it on bulls 101 let's see what happens but I, 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 the last thing I want to talk about is Billy Donovan and his coaching, and I kind of feel bad for always bringing this up on Twitter and maybe even on this show. I've been I've been banging on the, about this on the show as well. Like he, he's clearly he's been significantly better than Jim Boylan. He's been a godsend from that standpoint. He he's just listening to the dude talk is uh, it's kind of like basketball porn, I guess, because he just. You know, the things he says, it just makes you smarter listening to the guy. And he's just, and the way he says it as well, the way he delivers it, he's very, um, I don't know. I could just listen to him talk basketball all day, I suppose. You got but, it with this on <laughs> that. <basketball.
2: laughs> <laughs> You've been on a roll. You've been on a roll, brother. Uh,
1: this, this we all have our own fetishes. PG 13. <laughs> <laughs> Look, we're all into our own thing, I, I guess. Like, you know, I could, I could listen to Billy Donovan talk about basketball all day. That's 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 what gets me going. It's that accent that does it um, worry, right? It's the accent. Yeah, that New York accent. Is it New, a New York accent? Is that where he's from? Kind of yeah, I Think like he's that. from around there somewhere. Yeah,
2: he's from New yeah, York. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, just it's my thing. It's my thing. But um, despite me loving the way he talks. Some of the things he's doing on court lately has irritated me and you know I've been on this podcast generally on the on those solo pods that I do where i'm I'm sort of just uh ranting and raving and wondering why certain things are happening and, but given I've got you two guys on the show, I thought I'd bounce this off you and just get your take on it just as a bit of a sense check just to make sure I'm maybe no raving lunatic maybe I am'm <laughs> happy for you guys to tell me so, but when well, I, I get the sense yeah exactly one not both maybe maybe both is true, but I don't know there's just been some rotational choices that I just. Maybe, maybe my frustration with the team would generally is filtering into this conversation now, where I'm getting a little bit annoyed with Billy's choice from a rotational standpoint. Which maybe I shouldn't, because he's dealing with a flawed roster. Obviously, he he doesn't he does he doesn't have a lot of great choices. Like that 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 caveat is true. Obviously, that is that is most certainly true. But at the same time, like he just does a few things that bother me to the point where I'm like, what are you doing, Billy? Like, an example of that is, uh like, in this jazz game when he put out uh, Larry Markkinen and Luke Cornett, which I understand the logic behind it. Like, you, you put out someone like Luke Cornett to hopefully draw out Rudy Gobert away from the paint. Like, I get it in theory, but where it sort of breaks down immediately is Luke Cornett is just... It, a very bad basketball player and can't really shoot the basketball anyway. And even if he is open at the three point line, teams are not going to defend it because it's Luke freaking Cornette. So with that cabinet in mind, like, am I being too harsh when I go after Billy for some of these rotational choices? Like the Luke Cornette thing, playing Denzel Valentine and Archie know with Kobe White in an all bench unit at times, like that frustrates me as well. Like, am I being too harsh? Am I being too impatient um, am I being a little too ridiculous? Tell me, I mean, what are your thoughts on Billy's rotation, Lara? I mean, yeah, tell me if I'm being wrong here. I mean, maybe I am, but it's, it's driving me nuts.
2: Um, well, now that we're off the uh basketball porn, but the, the thing <laughs> is, right? So, what I see, like, when I look at the game and I see rotations like that, I see frustration from a coach, and what I mean by that is, it's like. He had his rotation. He had guys that he trusted. He had a rotation that he liked, and now things have like kind of like fall, started to fall apart, and he's lost trust in those rotations. And now he's like trying his best to find some type of rhythm. He's trying to, you know, maybe Luke is like I said, Luke is a bad basketball player, and I I, I agree. I ain't, ain't none much else I can say about that. But like at some point, like you look down the bench, you're like, okay, I don't want to start Luke. All right, Luke, come on, Luke. Let's let's see what you got. Let's see what you got. We, you know, they ain't doing nothing. Let's see what you got. You know, it it, it gets to that point where it's like, okay, you know what? We got to try something. And I can't play these starters forty, all of them forty eight minutes. I got to try something. DG, come on, let's see what you got. You know, like it's frustration. But then you flip it onto like the fan side, and guys like us, well, we watch the game and we get frustrated over things like that. It's totally. I, I don't think you're wrong by it because. It's a great observation. I mean, these 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 lineups have been bad. And, you know, no, even though somebody can shoot the three, doesn't mean they, they're going to make the three. And if you look at Luke and you see his numbers, you know, you see a big seven-footer that can stretch the floor, but he doesn't make it anywhere near consistently, consistently enough for Rudy to be like, oh, shit, I got to get out there. You know, like, it's just nobody's going to be afraid of Luke Cornett. So – I totally agree. And I don't think you're wrong by it. I I, I think it's it's an observation that is completely true. These these rotations that he's putting out there, these lineups that he's putting out there, they're not strong. They're not conducive to winning. And um, I mean, but again, I I just feel like that's just frustration on his part. Like he's just he's at a point where he doesn't believe in some of these guys giving him good minutes. So he's willing to try anybody at this point.
1: Yeah, I think that's all fair, and look, that 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 certainly can be true, and and look, to be clear, like on the list of you know bad things that are happening with Chicago Bulls basketball, Billy Donovan's rotation is not maybe in the top ten, and it's certainly not determining you know the result of this season. Let's say. But I guess I'm just projecting forward to maybe when this team is better. Like, is this rotational thing going to be something that we need to keep an eye on with Billy Donovan? I I, I don't know. But, like, right. even with a flawed roster, to me, to my mind at least, or to my eyes, like, there's just some things that just don't make sense. Like, instead of playing, like, Kobe, Denzel, and Archie Diakono, you know, however many minutes it may be together, like three to five minutes, whatever that stretch is, can, can you just manipulate your rotation a little bit more, to the point where you've always got one of Sato or, or, and Zach on there, or if it's not, you know, Z, uh, Sato and Zach, you've got one of Zach and Thad on the court the entire time. Like, can you do things like that? Rather than going to 10 or 11 guys, can you keep the rotation at 9 or, or whatever it may be? Like, they're little things, they're small things. Maybe I'm being a little bit pedantic, but uh, they're, they're the things that are, I guess, are starting to annoy me a little bit because, like, Billy was talking about self-inflicted wounds the other day, about post-game. I can't remember which game it was. It may have been after the Nuggets game. Like, that feels when it was most relevant. So I'll say it was after that game. But like some of these rotational choices as well are, I will say, self-inflicted wounds. And I'll come back to the Cornet one because we mentioned Daniel Gafford, and I'm not the biggest Gafford guy, but he had a really good game against the Pistons. It was really good for Wendell when Wendell went out injured with when Otto you know, seemingly just smashed him in the face because Wendell just... For whatever reason, Wendell's teammates have it out for him. But, like, Gafford was good against the Pistons. So, like, why go to Cornet in that situation instead of Gafford, who literally 24 hours before was really good for you? Again, I understand the logic, but, like like we said, Cornet sucks. He's not going to draw <laughs> Gobert out of the paint. So, like, I understand the theory, but it's just, it just was never going to work in practical sense. So, again, I don't know. Maybe I'm being a bit too harsh, but maybe Chris the Optimist – um can uh, set me back on my uh, <laughs> set me set me back in the ways and maybe talk me away from this nonsense that I'm spewing out here, Chris.
0: Just because you're a good coach doesn't mean you're immune from criticism, and you're not perfect. And and Billy Donovan has a reputation, and he had this in OKC where he would try different things during the game during the regular season. And as Laro mentioned, I, I think he makes a great point here that 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 sort of sporadic lineup change and people that are randomly coming in and out shows a level of distrust with what's currently happening, that he wants to throw stuff at the wall and see if it sticks. Now, as you guys have mentioned, I think anyone could tell you that Lowry and Cornette with Archie Akino and Denzel and Kobe on the floor is not going to stick But under any circumstance. But, you know, you, you never know. And I think something that's interesting is coaches, and, and Billy Donovan has mentioned this many times, he likes guys to stay ready and so if he randomly pulls guys like Felicio or Cornet or Arch out of the rotation sometimes or into the rotation, he's done it with Denzel as well this year. He's done it with Gafford. Keeps people on their toes, it keeps you ready because you know that at any moment he could he could pull you into the game and try something and you gotta show what you got. Like like Daniel Gafford did against the Pistons. You know, Glendale went out. And Gafford came in and he gave that great energy. And he said after the game that, you know, when he started, he felt like he maybe had taken it for granted. And so I think it helps your team's mental preparedness to to have them be ready, right? Because if you're Felicio and you're thinking, I'm never going to see the floor, then maybe you're not as motivated to, to do that. Or if you're a guy like, um, you know, Kobe or Wendell or someone who's in the rotation and you're taking it for granted – you know, Billy Donovan can pull a move on you, and like Lowry did, like he did with Lowry tonight. He took Lowry out for basically the entire, you know, half of the half of the third quarter and half of the fourth, like basically an entire quarter of basketball because he just wasn't bringing it the way he wanted him to. So, I, I I think it's perfectly fair to criticize the rotations because I honestly thought in that beginning of the second quarter when he had that lineup, the game was lost at that point, and the rest of the night the Bulls kind of played the Jazz even. As far as points, it kind of stayed right around 20 points down. But they got 20 points down because of that lineup at the end of the first and the beginning of the second quarter. And so, you know, you can put that on Billy Donovan, but at the same time I think it's, you know, you're trying to put a Band-Aid on cancer. Like The, the symptoms that are being shown here, you know, you can't fix them with, with a lineup rotation. You can't just blame Billy Donovan for, for those things. They're they're emblematic of, of a much larger problem, and that's he doesn't have enough guys that he can rely on to consistently play basketball on a nightly basis in those types of situations. So, you know, it just goes back to the the first part of this, which is, you know, what are we going to do about this? Because we, we clearly are in a rut where we can't beat these great teams. We see the flashes, but the consistency, it just hasn't been there this year
1: so far. Yeah, all good points. I mean, that, that is certainly true. And and maybe I'm just picking on, you know, yeah. I mean, to your point, like he does, he doesn't have – a whole bunch of great options. I mean, he's taken Thad and Sato out of that second unit, put it into the starting unit. The starters are performing better due to that, due to that fact. You know, you put more mature, experienced, ready-made sort of NBA players into that starting lineup. Lo and behold, the starting lineup looks a lot better, but now you're taking those guys out of the bench. The bench looks crappy so I I certainly take your point and yeah I I guess I'm just dealing with a or trying to make the best of a very imperfect situation but like I said it's it's one minor complaint that I have it's for whatever reason rotational stuff is something that I just gravitate towards towards as a basketball fan I don't know why but um It's something that irritates me at times, but uh, it's certainly something that annoyed me a lot with Jim Boyle, and it's starting to creep in with uh, Billy Donovan, but maybe I just needed a bit of a reality check. And um, you're right, the lineups, well, this rotation – is, well, it can be sucky at times just due to the fact that this roster is um, a dog's breakfast at times. So maybe hopefully that trade uh, that that changes at the trade deadline, but obviously we will find out in the coming days. But look, I don't want to keep you guys any longer. You've you've been very generous with your time. I appreciate getting you both on the show um, to help me talk Bulls basketball, but more importantly, I very much appreciate the fact that you guys have started your own show. Like I said from the top, I think you guys are doing something that not a lot of other Bulls podcasters are. you found a lane or a niche that I think you guys should be continuing to explore. And, um yeah, I'm just happy to see two of my mates get together and create something cool. So I appreciate you guys coming on Bulls HQ and sharing your thoughts before you get away. Please feel free to plug your show, plug your Twitter, all that good stuff where Bulls fans can go and uh, follow you online and catch the podcast, catch your ramblings, etc. cetera, um, on Twitter and those sorts of things. So please uh, feel free to plug away.
2: Um, before we do that, can we just shout out our brother C. Uh, C Red Fred and his boy Denzel tonight?
1: Um, uh, do, do we have to give Fred any more um, <laughs> any more airtime?
0: Larry, you're never going to yeah, get anyone. guided back to this podcast if you keep on the direction you're going. <laughs>
2: Hey, right, go on, go on. Give Fred some
1: love, I suppose.
2: 16 minutes, two points, over 4 from the floor, over 4 from 3. <laughs> one rebound, one assist, one turnover. And again, 16 minutes, but he was negative 23 and plus minus.
1: Hey, if I knew you were going to trash Denzel and then by proxy trash said see Red Fred, we could have done an entire ten minute segment on it for a so, um yeah, that that's good. He's he's definitely not going to follow you. I mean, well, I was just giving you an opportunity to plug you guys, but Fred is definitely not going to be plugging you after here. Let, his...
0: let me let me salvage this real quick. Denzel has been <laughs> Denzel has been a competent rotation player this year. No, he no, has. No, I'm yes. sorry, he we has have been a his move moment, in, Mike. No. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, I'll, I'll plug the show for for a minute here. Um, so the reason Larry and I made Bulls One on One is is as you mentioned, Mark. I really feel like the niche of more in depth basketball analysis is kind of a rare thing to find nowadays in a podcast or show form. And what we really wanted to do is not just tell you and give opinions and takes or whatever, but show you with with the actual data, with actual film breakdown, what's happening on the court. Why the coaches are doing certain things, why the players are doing certain things, and I think it'll give everybody a chance to appreciate basketball at a deeper level and really understand what's going on and and identify the problems that are plaguing this team. I don't think it's as dire as many of us are are prone to think it is. But um, if you guys want to check us out, we're on every Saturday night at a at a uh, I forget the time. Eleven PM Central. It's different. I'm on Pacific Time. So it's eleven PM Central Time. You can catch us at Bulls 101 Podcast. You can it's on the Barroom Network. That's at Bears Barroom on Twitter. They'll post the show and you can watch it live from Twitter. You can watch it live from YouTube. You can comment. We we try and respond to comments. We put them up on the on the site, you know, and, and respond in real time. So it's it's been really fun for, for me and Laryl. I know we've really enjoyed it. I hope the the people that watch it really enjoy it as well. I I know I've learned a whole lot of, more about basketball and about the Bulls since we started, and we've got great guests like Mark. I know you filled in for Laro uh, last week, and we had Ryan Borhan this week, and we've got more guests coming up, so we're really excited about it. Um, you guys can give us a follow. My my Twitter handle is at kla hoops, and Laro is at underscore Laro hoops, so you can get more of Laro's Kobe hate takes. <laughs> as many as you would like. I'm just kidding. Don't be out on the young guys, Laro. Come on, come on. They got time.
2: They got, they got, time. got time. Yeah, but have time? We gotta, we we gotta, we gotta uh, go on with Zach's time now. You know, so we'll see what happens. We'll see.
1: My personal mission is to corrupt Laro and make him as uh, as negative and dejected as I am. So um I, I tried doing that with Chris, but you seem unbreakable, but uh <laughs> m- maybe there's some scope to do that with Laro, so we'll see. But um yeah, just quietly guys, I think the second episode of Bulls One O One was probably the best that you guys have done, to be honest wow. with you. So um, <laughs> Yeah, you guys should check that one out. <laughs> just quietly I might have. Oh man. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, enough good natured ribbing. Uh like I said, I really appreciate you guys coming on and um this was much more fun for me. It's um, I, I always appreciate having guests on, particularly after rough games like this. Uh, we we get the opportunity to laugh and uh, commiserate. Let's say when uh, the Bulls are bad, it's it's much better than um, me just being on the mic by myself. So appreciate you guys coming on, sharing your thoughts and opinions. Very fun. And like like the guy said, hit them up wherever you find basically any Bulls podcast. Go follow the guys. Get on Twitter. Follow them on there. And whilst you're doing that, do the same for me as well. Uh, at MK Hoops on Twitter at Bulls HQ. HQ pod. If you want to be part of the Bulls Discord forum, come do that. Send me a DM on Twitter. We'll give you the link to come be part of that. There's almost 200 of us up in the uh, the Bulls HQ Discord, so if you want to be part of it, send me a DM. But that just about does it for this episode of Bulls at HQ. Again, thanks to Laro and to Chris. We'll be back post-deadline to talk about what the Bulls have done, or maybe haven't done post the deadline. That'll be very interesting to discuss. It's going to be a fun couple of days to be a basketball fan, but obviously, it's from a Bulls perspective, it's going to be very intriguing to see what they do. But uh, over to AK now. That's all we can do as fans. We can posit and get on the trade machine. We come up with our own ideas, but ultimately, he's the one. Um, he's the one executing them. So let's see what he what he's got in store for us. But uh, in terms of Bulls HQ, we're done here. Again, thanks to Lara and Chris. We'll be back post the deadline. Speak soon, Bulls fans.